Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Awesome. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. As the war machine keeps turning. Death and hatred to mankind. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Once again, the Anarchist World This Week is here on the Community Radio Network. Like the dog shit you can't scrape off the bottom of your shoe and the smell lingers on for a week, that's us, the Anarchist World This Week. We're here to give you an analysis you'll hear nowhere else in Australia. Maybe on the planet, but in Australia. All right, what's anarchy? Well, it comes from the Greek anarchos. It means without rulers. Did you hear that? And I'm not talking about the rulers you used to use in school before the internet age. I'm talking about rulers, those who rule us. It's not without rules. And how do you create an anarchist society without rules? You devolve power and you give equal access to wealth. Because what gives a ruler power? Their ability to acquire wealth and their ability to exercise power, which comes through the creation of hierarchy. So an anarchist is somebody who wants to live in a society without rulers, which is based on direct democratic principles where wealth is shared, held in common and used for the common good. So if you're looking for really exciting stuff where you can die, you know, join Islamic State or the Liberal Party, but uh, if you're looking for sensible ideas, sensible ideas of how people can cooperatively live together in the land of Oz and possibly the universe, even the Milky Way, well, keep listening to the Anarchist World this week. My name is Joseph Scar. If you've got any complaints, fine, send them in. I'll look at them. But don't, but don't expect that I'll agree with you. Now, let's start off. I'll just... I get fascinated. I'm really fascinated. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about class in 21st century Australia? Yes, we had the audacity to use the C word, class, C-L-A-S-S. And I'm not talking about a classroom, but class. Yes, it does exist. Class divisions do exist. And during the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation, revolution that has swept Australia over the past 40 years, the nature of class has changed and we have four distinct classes in Australia. And it doesn't matter whether you're white or black or pink or yellow, you know, good or bad, we have four distinct classes. And the first one is 
the corporate squatters. And we all know about the corporate squatters. That 1% of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, which doesn't pay tax. And the corporate squatters are our gods. They are beyond reproach because they create jobs. Mm -hmm. They're out there. You know them. Pick up the 1,500 richest corporations that are active in Australia. One third didn't pay tax last year. Ho, ho, ho. The rest... Paid less than 5% tax. Ho, 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 said Santa. So the corporate class is out there and they are making hay. On every available statistical indicator, the fortunes of the corporate classes, not just in Australia, have skyrocketed over the last 40 years during this uh, period. Then we have the investment class, and we have a quite a big investment class in Australia because the deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation, globalisation revolution did what other revolutions have not been able to do. It has actually changed class structure in Australia. Now, you can actually be working in a boring job and making lots of money, and you can become an investor. And let's not forget that over a million Australians now own a second home and negatively gear that second home and get a tax advantage. And, and I, I love this statistic. They say, well, do you know, and I remember Mr Bruce Bilden, Bilson, the member for Dunkley, you know, the one who got turfed by Turnbull, who's now, you know, got his little card and is going to retire. But he said, I was at a debate with him a few months ago about um, public housing. And he came up with a t- statistic. He said, well, do you know, Joe, do you know, and this is on the public platform, do you know, Joe, that of the million Australians who are own a second home, their taxable income is between thirty and $50,000 a year? And I thought to myself, and obviously I shot that in the head there and there, not Bruce, the idea. Well, obviously... Obviously, their income is between thirty to fifty thousand dollars a year. Because the beauty of negative gearing, as we've heard all along, all this week, is that you can actually claim a loss as a tax deduction. You know, it's wonderful. It is wonderful. So you mortgage the place up to the hilt, get a tenant in, make a, a loss. The tenant pays for your house. You make a loss, a paper loss, because you know you've mortgaged up to the hilt, and you get a tax deduction. Obviously, obviously, the whole point of being negative gearing is to decrease, uh, legally decrease the tax you pay. So we've got the investment class. And they can be building workers, could be somebody who's, you know, working very hard, doing 80, 90 hours of work a, a week. And uh, they're not, they, they may be from your traditional working class or they actually may be from your white-collar worker or blue-collar worker. And the investment class takes up about 15% of Australian society. And the investment class, well, you know, they deal in stocks and shares. They have super, uh, they have self-funded retirement funds and the list goes on and on. So they've become a very important part of the Australian uh, class structure because the investment class, the Praetorian Guard of the uh, corporate squatters, there are legislation has been passed over the for- last 40 years which basically forces, in many regards, people to uh, become investors. End of story. Then you've got your traditional working class, and they can be it can be a doctor, it can be an accountant, it can be a labourer, can be a nurse. 
These are people basically who are working either in small business or for themselves or for a wage whose income is just enough to meet their everyday requirements. And they don't have actually disposable income to invest and take uh, advantage of Australia's investment-friendly taxation laws. So the pay-as-you-earn taxpayers are still paying about 68 69% of the tax take in this country. Then you have the 33 and that's about 50% of the population. Then you have the 33% of Australians who rely on Social Security benefits to survive. And there are motley bunch, as I keep saying. And at the bottom of the uh, pile are the people on New Start Allowance. Do you like that? A New Start Allowance? Who have been receiving... $37 a day since 1996. Sorry, I apologise, 1997. There has not been an increase in the New Start allowance since 1997. And then you've got old age pensioners, people on single income, uh, people on single parents' benefits, and they've been changed so that they've been forced to work after their child reaches the age of eight. And then you've got uh, people on disability support pensions, which have really been hammered over the past uh, 12 months. 8,000 were removed from the disability pension scheme in the last three months. And uh, it's almost impossible to get a disability support pension. You need to have no arms, no legs, no eyes and no head these days to actually get a disability support pension because uh, your, your local doctor no longer has any input. It's all government-appointed doctors. So that's your class structure. So why, why have I raised this? Because Mr Turnbull, Mr Turnbull, the Prime Minister of this country, the First Minister, the Prime Minister, not the Prime Rib, but the Prime Minister, Mr Turnbull, our beloved Mr Turnbull, has a problem. And he has a problem. He has a big problem. Although he is leader of the Liberal Party, he's actually not the chief honcho in the Liberal Party because his ideas, to a significant degree, do not coincide with the neoliberal ideology. Because, see, the Liberal Party has changed over the past 40 years. You know, while when Menzies formed the Liberal Party, it was basically a coalition of nutters from the National Party who were social conservatives and, you know, people with liberal ideas, you know, about the state, uh, the interaction the state has with the individual, all these type of things. Well, over the last 40 years, what has actually occurred is that the Liberal Party has transformed itself into a neoliberal organisation. And what's neoliberalism? And as I said before, that is a group of people who've come together who believe the corporate squatters are the one true God. And all legislation uh, which is passed through Parliament is about augmenting the fortunes of the corporate squatters. I mean, that's what they believe in. It's like a mantra. That's their belief system. It's got no basis with reality, as we've seen. So here we have... Here we have a Liberal Party which changed its head because Mr Abbott, the neoliberals' friend and the socially conservatives' friend, was unelectable because the policies that the Liberal Party ideologues pursue are not the same ideas that the Australian people actually want. So six months ago, they changed the wrapping on the Liberal Party and now we have a bright brightly coloured, beautifully ribboned present with a leader who's, uh, you know, 
an economic reactionary, and has got a few progressive social policies, <coughs> like wanting the country to be a, you know, a republic and supporting marriage equality, and the list goes on and on. So they need, the Liberal National Party needs Mr Turnbull in order to be re-elected. It is their best chance of winning the election at the end of the year. Unfortunately, for those Australians who believe this, the reality is that if Mr Turnbull is re-elected, and especially if he's re-elected with a Senate majority, I can give you a 100% guarantee, and I normally don't give a 100% guarantee, that within 12 months of his re-election, he'll be rolled by the neoconservative forces. Let's not forget that when Abbott was elected in 2013, we were told there would be minimal changes. And within a few months of being elected, he broke every election promise he made. Now, the neoliberals are sitting in the wings, licking their wounds, waiting for the opportune moment to... uh, again seize power and if you think it's not a possibility I can assure you Malcolm Turnbull in the leadership role or not in the Liberal Party I can assure you if there is a majority in both houses of parliament both the House of Representatives and the Senate after the next federal election that Medicare co-payments will be introduced that new start allowances will be you know for the under 30s will have to wait six months before they can actually apply for new start allowance. That all those policies they had, uh, which uh, cut revenue, will come into effect, and uh, Turnbull himself be ousted as prime minister. And that's the dilemma. That's the dilemma. Parliamentary politics is basically a game which is based on faith, especially in the Australian situation. It is based on faith. The faith that your political representative will do what they promise to do. And the dilemma with Australian parliamentary politics is there is no mechanism by which you can call that representative, you know, you can call them to account and during their period in parliament if they break every one of their uh, promises and uh, bring in a few surprises. You've got to wait till the next election. And by that time, it's all too late. It's based on faith. I mean, you do, you could, you could have a few reforms. You could have the reform of having, as they have in many states in the United States of America. We've got the power of recall. <coughs> where if 20% of the electorate signed a petition, asking for a fresh election in between elections for that particular representative, you could call that. You could have that fresh election. That would put a break on the ability of representatives just to change their policies at whim. There's the power of recall. There's also, obviously, direct democratic policies where you actually vote on policies and elect delegates or appoint delegates to coordinate those policies at a local, regional and national levels. You could do that. I mean, it's direct democracy instead of having a representative, which is based on faith. So going back, you know, to the beginning of this uh, long and tawdry and ugly little tale, the fact is that in a democratic society, in a parliamentary democracy, real power doesn't lie in parliament, it lies in the boardrooms of national and transnational corporations whose major responsibility, the corporate squatters, whose major responsibility 
is to increase profits for their shareholders. End of story. I'll give you an example. Let's move on to services. Now, what we've seen in the past 40 years is the privatisation of brick and mortars. We've seen public assets which have been built up by public money, which are based on bricks and mortars, have basically been given away to the private sector. The Commonwealth Bank, Telstra, Qantas, airports, harbours, and the list goes on and on. You know what happens. Given away to the private sector. But we are now entering a second phase of privatisation. And that second phase of privatisation is based on the concept of outsourcing services which are delivered by the government traditionally to private organisations. Now, we've seen that already with Centrelink and the provision of welfare services, which have basically been privatised. But what we'll see over the next 10 years, if we allow the privatisation revolution to continue, what we will see is the outsourcing of services basically to overseas corporations who will use overseas workers to provide services which we currently provide by the public sector. For example, it's already been floated, the idea of Medicare payments which are processed by the public service which will be sold off to a private organisation which could do all this overseas for a minimum of the cost and uh, you know maximise their profits. We've got the idea of actually selling hex debts, actually selling the hex debt to a private organisation. So there are many areas of our day-to-day lives which can still be privatised to a private organisation and, and that is the next phase of privatisation. We've already seen the privatisation by stealth of the public hospital system and uh, public education. And we've seen the almost complete privatisation of the building of infrastructure. Now, I understand the infrastructure committee, whatever they call themselves, that has come up with 97 essential, essential infrastructure projects. And how will these infrastructure processes be paid for? through private-public partnerships. And what is a private-public partnership? A private-public partnership is when the public puts up the money and a private corporation reaps the profits. For example, Transurban, which during the Kennett period was given a monopoly on a tunnel under the Yarra. And this monopoly was going to was for 35 years, so in the next 15 years this monopoly has stopped. Now, the beauty about Transurban as, an, as a monopoly is that it actually doesn't even pay tax, doesn't pay tax, or pays minimal taxation. It does it all legally, of course. And now they've entered an agreement with the Andrews-led state Labor government to provide a tunnel under, well, near Westgate, and that, and, and that will allow them to extend their monopoly on the Transurban Tunnel under the Yarra for another 20 years. Extraordinary situation. So what we see is future generations' 
financial welfare being squandered by governments who are making decisions for the next 30, 40 or 50 years, whether it's the sale of the Port of Melbourne, whether it's allowing Transurban to uh, you know, build essential public infrastructure and giving them a monopoly on exploiting that public infrastructure. So we are going to see the same policy around Australia where private corporations will build public infrastructure with public money to a significant degree and then be given a monopoly on the use of that public infrastructure for the next 30 to 40 years which they can extract a profit from. And that's the dilemma. And we find ourselves in this situation for one very good reason. And that very good reason is that corporate Australia pays voluntary taxation. If they pay taxation at all. So it's interesting that the concept of increasing a GST has now been set by the wayside because it's makes the Turnbull government unelectable. But why was the big policy debate about increasing the GST? And the big policy debate about increasing the GST was that it would put the maximum burden on those least able to afford it, those on Social Security benefits and on workers earning less than $70,000 a year. This is where the burden would have been to actually pay to keep the public health sector and public, edu- <laughs> and public education running. This is what it would be. Now, that idea has been shelved. The next idea is an, an attack, which I support, on the investment classes. Because those people who use the investment laws to their advantage to a significant degree are the 15% of Australians who've got disposable income to play on the stock market or buy an investment property. These are the people who are are benefiting from those laws. But you will notice none none of the political parties, the major political parties, are willing, are willing, not one of them, are willing to tackle the corporate squatters. Now, public interest before corporate interest is a political party that has been organised currently with the main task of tackling the corporate squatters. It's important that when you live in a country, when you live in a nation, which we are citizens of, it is important that the public interests always be put before sectional corporate interests. Now, while other political parties will carry on about, you know, curtailing the investment class or uh, robbing people on social security benefits to provide essential infrastructure, public interest before corporate interest is all about ensuring the corporate squatters pay their fair share of tax. And that's why public interest before corporate interest is holding monthly rallies on the first Friday of the month. They meet at 4.30pm at Federation Square, so put that in, in for March, and then, mar- and then walk to a significant corporate squatters headquarters in the Melbourne CBD. And if you listen to this program in other states, which you are, you can do exactly the same program. 
That's why public interest before corporate interest, which now has almost, which has over 570 members, is aiming to be registered as a political party before the next federal election. Because there is no one, no one in this country that is willing to put public interests before corporate interests as the central plank of their political, social and cultural program. No one. Because everybody's too frightened to bite the hand that feeds them. And as we're not fed by the corporate squatters, we don't care. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Scott. I'm hosting today's program. If you uh, want to become a member of public interest before corporate interest, you can download the application form from pibci.net, P-I-B-C-I.net. And if you're one of those people who uh, sits around and wonders, you know, when change will occur, just remember, we are the people we've been waiting for. You can't rely on the traditional political parties. You can't rely on the corporate-owned media and you can't rely on the government guild at ABC to ensure that public interests are always put before corporate interests. You can't rely on your local religious group. You can't rely on your local life-saving club. If you want to be in an organisation that puts public interests before corporate interests, I, I encourage you to join. And if you want to form a branch in the place where you work and live anywhere in this country, give us a call, 0439 395 489, because we want this to be a national movement. And if you ain't got a phone to ring me, you can always write us a letter on Post Office Box to Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. Or you can go to the website, pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net, and uh, download an application form, or you can email us at info at pibsy.net the ball's in your court we don't beg Ball, you can either do something or you can cry in your soup it's up to you you can go cast your ballot every three years and then moan and groan about nothing ever changing about how those rights and liberties that uh, you've uh, been able to exercise have been whittled away and you can cry and write a letter to the editor or ring up a talkback radio station I mean, we need to build a political movement, which is not based on ideological certainties, but which is actually based on everyday reality. This is nothing new. This is something that's happening all across Europe. The people are saying enough is enough. Enough is enough, and that's what it's about. For example, Medicare. Now, defend and extend... uh, Public interest before corporate interest is holding a defend and extend Medicare rally in the, in the uh, harbourside town of Hastings in Victoria. That's right. Not just a Melbourne CBD initiative, all across the country. And it'll be held on, it'll be held on Thursday the 18th of February. And if you are a member of public interest before corporate interest, if you have a look at your newsletter, which you will have received either by snail mail or email in the last uh, week or so, have a look there, join them, join people. 
It's at, uh, they'll be meeting at the corner of Queen and High Street Hastings at 9.30am. If you think it's a long way to come, it is a long way to come if you don't live in that area. But there's, a, I understand, a market going on that day and that later on in the day the uh, defend and extend, the public interest before corporate interest defend and extend Medicare uh, crowd will be uh, walking down to the office of the world's greatest environment minister, that's what I'm told, Mr Greg Hunt at 184 Salmon Street, Hastings, to deliver a letter asking for the 7 to $8 billion paid to the private health insurance industry to return to Medicare. Hmm? People say, well, what do you expect, you know? Well, nothing happens if nothing if people don't get involved. I'll give you an example. Medicare, the most important social reform in this country since the Second World War. It was introduced in 1973 by the, the despised Whitlam government, to provide universal health care to every Australian, irrespective of their age, their financial ability to pay. It didn't matter who you were. You would have access to basic care, health care. And to a large degree... Health care in this country has been affordable to the last two to three years to a significant block of Australians, to most Australians, not all Australians, but most Australians. And that has been through the Medicare scheme, which is a national insurance scheme. It's paid through a levy of 1.5% on taxable income and it's also paid through consolidated revenue. It helps to support the public hospital system. And you've got to remember that each and every one of us is a heartbeat away from a major catastrophic event because we're all going to die and we're all at risk of heart attacks and strokes and cancers or, if you're young, being involved in an accident. And it's only then that you appreciate the fact that you can actually access some of the most sophisticated health care on the planet for nothing. Because the burden is borne by the citizens of this country as a whole. And over the last 30 years, we have seen significant political parties, especially the Liberal National Party, do everything they can to destroy this universal health insurance system which is supported by the majority of Australians. Because you can have the most sophisticated investigation in the majority of cases for nothing. But what we've seen in the last few years is how the Medicare system has been undermined by the government itself. Because payments to doctors and providers of pathology and radiological services, the Medicare payment has not kept up with inflation. And we've reached a situation where 
medical practices across the country are making the decision to ditch Medicare and charge upfront fees and deny services to many Australians who don't have the money to pay for those fees upfront because the Medicare rebate has been kept artificially low. And then we've seen the dilemma in the public hospital system where in Victoria alone, the federal government under our beloved ex-Prime Minister, Mr Abbott, the Prime Minister in waiting after Turnbull has rolled sometime next year, if they win the next election. You know, what we've seen is this constant attack on the public hospital sector, $70 billion removed from the public hospital sector, and people who don't have the disposable income to pay those medical fees, and that's the majority of people if you're involved in a catastrophic uh, event, find themselves in that situation. And what we've seen for five miserable $5 billion, we saw the privatisation of Medibank Private, which was owned by the government of the day, which was the largest private health insurance company in this country. And it was privatised a year ago. And since it was privatised, we have seen the skyrocketing, skyrocketing, not only just private health insurance fees, but the skyrocketing of health costs for the nation as a whole. Because once you have a private health insurance company which is owned by the government, which is privatised, you lose the ability to control the marketplace. And it's worse when it comes to the private health sector because now that we only have private health insurance companies that dominate the marketplace, what we are seeing is the amount of money which is diverted from the public health system into the hands of the private insurance company has increased. And if they get their 5% to 10% increase, which they're demanding in April, you will see that the cost of the community of supporting the 40% of Australians who are, in many cases, forced to take out private health insurance because if you, you know, you were above a, an amount, I think it's about 70000 or it could be $80,000, you have to take out private insurance or, or you double charge a double Medicare levy. So that's, that's the dilemma. We now see the private health insurance company having no break on the fees they can charge. And they're maximising. I know I understood that, you know, Medibank Private was congratulating itself because it had made a profit and it was sharing that profit, not with its customers, the people who took it, but with its shareholders. So the whole concept of a private health insurance company which was there to provide services to people who wanted them and put downward pressure on, on hospital and private health costs has changed to provide a return to shareholders. And we see Medibank Private now fighting tooth and nail to get rid of all those elderly and disabled and sick people, the over 55s, who've got private health insurance, who use private hospitals, who are now finding that irrespective of whether they have top hospital cover or not, they are paying two to $3,000 for every private hospital admission. And that's a dilemma. Every time you privatise a major 
brick and mortar institution, whereas the Commonwealth Bank 20 years ago, Telstra 15 years ago. When you privatise these institutions, the break that a publicly owned institution has on the prices which the private sector can actually uh, apply is removed and prices go through the scoop go through the sky. Look at the electricity, look at gas when that was privatised. You can see what I'm saying is fact, F-A-C-T. So, that's the dilemma, isn't it? You've got 24 million people, and congratulations to the 24 million person. You know, a few days ago, we ticked over 24 million people. You've got 24 million people living on a continent... We're not 24 million people living on an island in the middle of nowhere. We're not 250 million people living on a swamp like in Bangladesh. We are 24 million people living on a continent with considerable resources, right? Considerable resources. And we can't even take care of the basic needs of every citizen and resident in this country. Homelessness is a perennial issue. Access to healthcare is now becoming an issue for an increasing number of Australians because of the privatisation of many segments of the public health sector. Let's not even talk about public education where we see privately owned schools being subsidised heavily, heavily by the government of the day at the expense of public schools. Now, obviously, you need three rowing sheds if you're a privately owned school. Obviously. Now, I've got nothing against private education. So if people want to send their kiddies to a private school, let them pay the full fee. And if they bitch about the fact that they pay taxes, which I doubt, because most of them are in the investment class, you know, they don't pay that much tax. If they bitch about that, well, that's the contribution they make, you know, uh, to cross-subsidise the rest of the community. So we've now created a society where there's no social elevator, where the children of working people, the children of people on social security benefits, and let's not forget that over 500,000, almost 700,000 children live below the poverty line in this country because of the situation of their parents. So we now got the situation where the twain shall never meet. And then you've got the scholarship system in the public, in the private school sector, where they hand-pick, cherry-pick, you know, students from the public sector who show a bit of promise. Extraordinary, isn't it? All courtesy of the Australian taxpayers. And it's all been, you know, ticked off by the High Court of Australia, which said quite simply, when the Defence of Government Schools Organisation was almost bankrupted almost 20 years ago, over 20 years ago, it said, well, you know, the state can do it. End of story. End of story. And let's not talk about public infrastructure. So I said before, public interest before corporate interest has been established, will be a a, a fundamental feature of the political and social and cultural life of this country for many years to come. We may just be a drop in the ocean today, but the ideas, the idea that, you know, the public interest should always take precedence over corporate interests is having a large deal of traction. We've got almost over 570 members currently. By next week, it'll be over 600. 
within a few weeks' time, hopefully within a few months' time, will be registered as a political party. But no, that's not the be-all, end-all of public interest before corporate interest. We're not going to stand aside and wait for the next election and the next election and the next election and the next election. Public interest before corporate interest is about creating a political and social climate and movement where these ideas take precedence. These ideas are heard on the Government Guild at ABC. These ideas get a run in the corporate-owned media. Because that's the dilemma. We are told we live in a three-society. Yes, you live in a three-society if you've got the money to exercise that freedom. The more money you have, the more options you have. The less money you have, the fewer options you have. It's that simple. That's what capitalism is all about. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Scott. I'm hosting today's program. Want to check out the Anarchist Media Institute? Go to the website, anarchistmedia.org. Want to email me? Email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Leave pleasant messages, 0439 395 489. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Now, something interesting... On uh, Thursday, the 18th of February, between 6 to 8pm, if you find yourself in Melbourne, there's the People's Tribunal book launch. You like that? The People's Tribunal book launch. And And the book launch is an inquiry into the business improvement program that occurred in Melbourne University, at Melbourne University in 2013 and 14, in which 540 professional staff lost their jobs and thousands more were made to feel invalidated and attacked. Now, and out this, you know, this thing of uh, destroying staff was outsourced to a privately owned company. And they were paid $6.5 million in 2013 to devise a process via which Melbourne University could be eviscerated. So the book collects the proceedings from a People's Tribunal that was held last year. It was an initiative of members of the Indigenous com- University's Indigenous community. It is now published in the by the Aboriginal Humanities Project in association with a discipline journal. Now, everybody is welcome to attend the People's Tribunal book launch. It will be at Thursday, the 18th of February, from 6 to 8pm at Westspace, Level 1, 225 Burke Street, Melbourne. And as I said before, there's resistance in many forms. And the fact that a People's Tribunal was held and the process via which this so-called business strategy was introduced into Melbourne University and the personal cost it not only had on the staff but the nature of the university itself is highlighted in this People's Tribunal book launch. So if you are in the city of Melbourne, and I'm not sure whether I can make it or not, but uh, we'll see what happens. But if you can make it, they deserve our support. Thursday the 18th of February, 6pm to 8pm, West Space, Level 1, 225 Burke Street in Melbourne. All friends are welcome. Yeah, as I said, a lot of things happening. Not just what we do, but there are a lot of things happening in this country. 
It's a little bit like the presidential race in the United States and uh, what happened with the Labor Party in England, you know. We're all told you're yesterday's people. Cooperative ideas, ideas about, you know, forcing the corporate sector to, you know, pay taxes, putting power back in the hands of the people, introducing social progressive policy. Dead. Historical relics. We are historical relics. We have no place in a 21st century community. Well, the skeletons, the zombies are being raised from the dead and we will create the type of confusion and chaos which will force the authorities, those who exercise power, to think seriously about devolving that power through mass peaceful protest. And Bernie Sanders' campaign and the campaign of the British Labor Party highlights that these ideas were never dead. These ideas about equality, about solidarity, about the people being the ultimate political authority in a democratic society, about corporate the corporate world being a servant of the public will, not the other way around, about the state providing essential services to each and every one of its citizens, these ideas were never dead. They were suppressed to such an extent the major political parties ditched them from their political programs. And through mass action, whether it's Mr Sanders standing as a presidential candidate in the United States of America, or whether it's the establishment of public interest before corporate interests in Australia, these ideas are still current and are still powerful, important ideas. This contest of ideas didn't end when the, when the Russian Federation disintegrated when Marxism was found to be some hollow nightmare. These ideas about people living in an egalitarian community where the commonwealth is shared and used for the common good are not dead. They are there. Irrespective of the rise of the investment class, irrespective of the rise and rise and rise of the corporate squatters, irrespective of governments basically being servants of the corporate squatters and creating the investment class of the Praetorian Guards for the corporate squatters, irrespective of the garbage which pours out of the traditional corporate-owned media, whether you think it's liberal corporate-owned media or conservative reactionary Murdoch-type corporate-owned media, irrespective of the lies and half-truths which make up most of the television broadcasting in this country, irrespective of the garbage which spews forth from the mouths of the same commentators every day on the government-gelded ABC, irrespective of that, there is that desire. When you talk to people face-to-face, there is that desire that we need to create a fairer, more egalitarian community where the needs of all are met. And if we cannot do this, 
if we cannot approach these issues in Australia, a continent inhabited by 24 million people, who else can do it? Irrespective of the drone every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a week, the constant crap that passes as informed political, social and cultural comment in this country, there is another Australia. You may not hear it in the corporate-owned media and the government-gelded ABC. You may not see it on the net. You may not, you know, they may not be twittering to each other. There is another Australia which marches to a different drumbeat. And we are part of that. And it's time that we stop becoming observers. Observers of our own annihilation. Our own annihilation as a people and as a community. It is time to stop observing. It is time to stop the click activism. As I said before, all you get from click activism on the net is RSI. It's time that people looked at the situation and began to take action, individually or collectively. Because those dreams and aspirations, that new world in our hearts, which many people still carry, is our dream, not anybody else's dream. It's our dream. And we can make that dream a reality by taking power. Because power is essential. The devolution of power is central to the type of society we want to create. You want to create a society where there is equality between different types of people irrespective of their racial origins, national origins, sexual orientations, gender. You want to do that. You need to tackle that economic inequality. You need to ensure that power is devolved from the corporate squatters through the investment class to the rest of us. That is what is needed today. I can give you a brilliant analysis every week. We could have slideshows. We could go on YouTube every day and watch the most incredible stuff. I could get my RSI saying, agree, agree, yes, yes, no, boy, click, 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 click. I could Twitter till the world turns to an end. It could go viral, but it doesn't matter. It is just an instant. It is of no concern. The only political and social movements which have any relevance are those that are willing to take that action to the streets. That is the only political movement that actually gets results. Nothing else gets results. We need to stop being spectators. We need to stop thinking that the government of the day, that the opposition, that the Greens, that, you know, the latest, uh, you know, that, you know, some television star, some internet star, some, you know, musician is going to somehow solve the issue for you. But the problem is yours. It's in your hands. You can continue to live the life we lead today or you can live another life. It's up to you. It is up to you. 
Using a tennis analogy, the ball's in your court. You can hit it back and we can have a nice game. You can let it go past you. You can hit it outside the court. The ball's in your court. Think about it. As I said before, we can talk beautifully every day, but it changes nothing. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. Send the podcast to your friends and enemies. Maybe they'll learn something. Listen to the podcast again. Become a member of PIBSIC, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Download the application form from pibsic.net. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. You can email us at info at pibsic.net. Interested in anarchism? Go to the website, anarchistmedia.org. You can email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com and write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052 or leave a message on 0439 395 489. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. And remember, once you actually get out and meet like-minded people, you develop new friendships, new associations, new meanings as far as your life is concerned. This is the way it should be. You know, why do you want to communicate with somebody the other side of the planet you can do nothing with except maybe, you know, exchange you know, sex-related messages, when you can actually you can actually talk to the people around you. You can actually organise with the people around you. You can actually be part of a real community of live human beings, not virtual beings which really have minimal impact on your life. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Any complaints, send them where you like. I don't care. You want to complain to me? Fine. Write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Email us at com. But don't ring me if you're complaining. You can SMS a complaint. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. And ask yourself, what am I doing? What am I doing to change what is happening in the world today. What is my contribution? How am I approaching this issue? What can I do? You can be 100 years old and you can still do something. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Listen in next week on The Anarchist World this week. You like that? Almost a tautology on your local community radio station next week. And if you can't get enough of the anarchist world this week, get a life, because that's what it's about. It's about getting a life and being in control of the situation. Thank you once again for listening to yours truly on the anarchist world this week. Listen in next week via the community radio network on your local community radio station. Minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week 
Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to The Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.